Right back at it for more Hockey Talk. Welcome in, everybody, to another Tuesday night edition of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. I can honestly say half of Alex Ferrario and Joe Vitale with you after two 9.30 starts, leaving the rink at one yeah. thirty. Not to complain, because we got dream jobs, Joe, but... Uh, Woof. Am I right, buddy? Man, I tell you, I showed up here to do this show, Alex, and, and you were kind of wrapping up with BK and Ribs, and the, the thought of you just doing that all day after a night out, I mean, I should not complain. But yeah, it's been it's been heavy. But I do have four kids, though, and you don't have those kids. Yeah, that's true. I don't have four kids. I got up at six, so what time did you get up? Uh, Seven. So the heck with you. I'm not, I'm not even... What time did you go to bed, though? I'm not even mad anymore. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, no. that's true. I'm not going to argue this because four kids compared to zero kids, that's nothing. And look, my, my kids are two dogs that uh, that sleep more than anything. So they, they live my lifestyle. Dogs Lazy don't talk dogs. back. Dogs don't talk back. Mine, you know? Yeah, they don't talk back. They don't uh, They don't pee all over the toilet seat. Oh, man. Um, they don't ask for Cheerios and then switch to Cocoa Pebbles <laughs> and then, Daddy, I don't eat my fruit. I mean, whatever you give a dog, they eat. That's what's nice, you know? Like, you, oh, there's the bowl. You give them dog food. Here's one and a half scoops. That's what the vet said. You, you know, you, you need to lose a little weight. You're getting a little husky. We're going to cut it back to one and a half, not two cups. Ching, you pour, fill up the water, and you're good to go. You can literally leave the house, you know? They're off, they're off the grid. Joe, they're off the grid. Joe, you were making me so excited for whenever I have kids, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. I guarantee the first words out of Joe's Joe's mouth when I say, hey, I'm having my first kid is going to be, congrats, bad idea. Matt Cook, and I was in Pittsburgh. I was about to have my first daughter, and he put it the best. And I think a lot of parents out there can relate to this. He said, having children, the highs are highs, and the lows are the lowest you've ever been. And I think he's so right. You've never been so high with kids, but you've never been so low either. You know, before a kid, you're kind of right in the, you kind of walk that uh, hedonic yeah. treadmill. You're right in the middle all the time, all the time. But kids, it just spikes. It's like when your heart rate goes up the hospital, like beep, 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 beep. It goes from high to low, high to low. That's what kids are like. Only difference is that there's no beeping noise when that happens, and now 100 people running into the room trying to help you out, right? Yeah, there's no secret medicine. It's that just stops you. it. It's just you all the way. It just keeps going forever. <laughs> By the way, we love kids here at 101 ESPN and This <laughs> Week in Hockey. Kids. We love we loved the Vitali children here, and I'm looking forward to children someday. Talk about highs and lows, though, Joe, and we've seen that in the bubble play right now with Edmonton. You saw the lows of three straight games where you're unable to score in the third period, giving up leads, unable to pull out victories, two games where you felt like there were spurts of hockey, but not 60 minutes, but then the ultimate hire of these last two games of an overtime victory that felt like a piano off the shoulders of those players, and then last night, which really was complete domination by the Blues from the first period on. Yeah, it's amazing, and I said it in the post game last night, Alex, after the game, but this is what makes playoff hockey so exciting. You know, you're down in a series 0-2 on Sunday night, and you're in overtime, and you're literally a bounce away from being down 0-3. Now, what does that sound like? You know, for anyone out there who wasn't listening to the game, being down 0 3 in any series throughout the entire history of the NHL, the team has come back to win that series only four times. Mm-hmm. Four times. In the, I mean, it's just, I think it's like a 99.6% rate. If you go up 3 0, you're going to win the series at some point. So the Blues are hanging on by a thread Sunday night, right? Go, game goes in overtime. They're down by two, two, two games. And at any moment, at any moment, they could be down by 3-0. Jake Allen makes a couple of terrific saves. I think the Vancouver Canucks hit a side post at one point. But it's that close. And then all of a sudden, Braden Shen gets sparked. He goes the other way, and he scores his goal. And I'm telling you, that feeling on the bench is, whoa, we're okay. We're only down by one game now. And yeah. we got a game tomorrow night, 
and we're starting to wear this team down. So I think that you put all those things together, I think the Blues really got a lot of life from that Braden Shen goal, and I think that they just really carried that momentum right into the game there uh, on Monday night last night. You said it on postgame too, Joe, and I love the line. I referenced it later in postgame. I referenced it earlier today on Rivs BK. The playoffs are a man's game. And after these last two in Edmonton, Vancouver didn't feel like they wanted to play the man's game anymore. I didn't think so. Yeah, I, I really – I'm watching that game last night, and you know, I, I, I see that the Vancouver Canucks are tired, but the Blues are equally as tired. I think that the Blues started running their depth – more than the Vancouver Canucks could. And I think that Vancouver just could not keep up, A. But more importantly, Alex, I don't know about you, but B, it didn't seem like they wanted to keep up. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of that suffocating style of hockey that when you play that that way, you know, no one wants to play that game. I mean, they're keeping pucks out of the defensive zone. They're giving the offense absolutely nothing. They're keeping it in their defensive zone. Quinn Hughes, Pedersen, those, those players got to play defense. As soon as they get it to the offensive zone, it's quickly turned around and back out of their zone. It's it's a very deflating feeling, not to mention you're getting hit every time you touch the puck. And right. Sometimes even when you don't touch the puck, you're still getting hit. The, the, these Vancouver players, I'm telling you right now, they, to me, it was a good wake-up call. I think that they had Minnesota in that playing round. Minnesota plays a heavy game-ish, mm-hmm. but not like what St. Louis does. And I think that now Vancouver has really looked at that and said, whoa, do we want to be here or not? Because this is a very demanding style of hockey that comes very natural to the Blues. But for a young, inexperienced team like Vancouver, Alex, I don't, I don't know if – to me right now – I don't think this thing goes to seven. I think the Blues run the next two. Yeah, run well, the table. I do too. And, and you know, something was really telling to me last night, Joe, in the Zoom call for the Vancouver Canucks. I listened to it when I got home last night. JT Miller said after the game, Ryan O'Reilly was a monster. And look, we'll talk about this in just a bit because he was. But what JT Miller said contradicted what the head coach said. JT Miller said Ryan O'Reilly spent all the time in our zone and no time in his zone. Whereas Travis Green, the head coach for the Canucks, said after the game, well, I felt like we were just fine at five-on-five play. We kept up with them. We're not exhausted. We have our offense. We have these opportunities there. When a player says one thing and a coach says the other, that's two different mindsets. And you go back to last year, Joe. The players and the coaches all said the same thing in the post-game press conference. After the hand-pass game, after an ugly loss, after losing Game 6 in the Stanley Cup Final, it was all the same message. Travis Green and JT Miller were on very two different wavelengths. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because, you know, you look at you look at how the message is always sent throughout the entire team, and you like to think that there's some commonality there, but, you know, it is it is a bit, a bit alarming. I think that when you look at the Vancouver Canucks, and if you're a Vancouver fan, because when you are receiving two different messages, you wonder how much is being communicated and how much is being understood in that room. I think that that's something that has been non-negotiable throughout the, the Blues' uh, run with Craig Berube. Pretty much whatever this coach says, his players back up and, and vice versa. So I think that that comes down to communication. That is understanding what your culture is all about. And, and you, I keep going back to it, but this is a young team. This is a young team that is starting to build. I mean, Travis Green had an incredible playing career. His his coaching career, I think, is still kind of taking off. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's definitely trending upwards with Vancouver, but he hasn't done it all that much. So you wonder with maybe the little inexperience of the coach and the inexperience of these players, is there a lack of culture? Is there a lack of communication? And is there a lack of just veteran presence and guys in that locker room they are going to grab this thing and, and turn this thing around? All good news if you're a Blues fan, Alex. 
But for Vancouver, you're absolutely right. It's it's some alarming signs right there. What do you think changed on the offensive side for the Blues, Joe? Was it the fact that the forecheck was able to get the puck in and kind of hit and start banging the bodies around? Or was there a timing issue for these guys without or with how long they haven't played together? Well, I think it's a lot of things. I think that Craig Berube has switched up his lines pretty drastically. I mean, think of the lines when we first came into Edmonton. Yeah, every one of them has been changed. Versus Chicago. I mean, Shen, Schwartz, Tarasenko was your top line. Yeah. Now you're looking at Shen, Bozak, and Sundquist. <laughs> now Schwartz is down with O'Reilly and Perron. What happened to Zach Sanford? Oh, he's on a kid's line with Thomas and Sammy Blay. I mm-hmm. mean, a lot has changed in three weeks since they've been up there. Yeah. So I think the adjustments is one. I think players re-getting used to this kind of personnel. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly's looking over at Jaden Schwartz now. He's a completely different player than Zach Sanford. Oh, yeah. They both have their strengths. They both have their weaknesses. You know, Schwartz's a little fireball. He's just going to go. He's going to spin out checks. He's going to create space for himself, and he's got very high hockey IQ, especially in the offensive zone. Zach Sanford's a big body. He takes the pucks to the net. He creates space through his size, less speed, but he's a big presence in front of the net. So Ryan O'Reilly has to get used to this little this little, this little water bug on his left side now. So that's going to take time. So that's number one. You know, number two, I believe that the offense is starting to trend now because of really what's taking place 150 feet down the ice in the defensive end. And yeah. it's so cliche in hockey, but my gosh, it is so spot on. When you take care of things defensively, when you're tight, when you're loading and reloading, you're outnumbering in your own corners, when Jake Allen's in net and you smother somebody behind the net, you finish the check and you're out of the zone, that leads to offense. When forwards are backtracking, when they're getting back to the defensive zone and they're stopping in the house and they're putting pressure back on these Vancouver forwards who thought they had an odd man rush, but now it's an even man rush, turning the puck and going back the other direction, that to me is what has set up everything in the offensive zone. The neutral zone is tight. It's that trap kind of style. Vancouver has really been given nothing. And once they're getting out to the offensive zone, they're making these guys play in the D zone. And these kids have nothing. They don't want to do anything in the D zone. I mean, right. Quinn Hughes, Pedersen, you think those guys want to play in the D zone? Absolutely not. But they're making them play there now, and they're just wearing them down um, completely. So I think that, to me, that is the biggest thing that I've seen as far as why uh, the offense has really, really kind of trended in the right direction. And, you know, and it wasn't easy, Alex, because – I think that game last night, I mentioned to you the Jake Allen overtime on Sunday night. That was a that was a big the big shift. Brayden mm-hmm. Shen scores that goal. It's a shift in the game. It's a shift in the series for, for for better or worse. Yeah. Last night there was a shift, and I love playoff shifts. I, I'm always looking for a shift. Last night, and I said in the post game, Colton Pareko takes a penalty right after JT Miller ties that game up in the second period. Literally like seven seconds after they tied it up. So we're like, oh god, they just tied it. Here comes this power play again. You know, boy, it was fun, but maybe we're going to go back down again. The Blues kill off that penalty, and they just go right to work five on five. To me, that's been the shift in the entire series. They spend two shifts down there. Ryan O'Reilly gets the even strength goal to make it two to one. Then they draw two penalties, and they make it three to one. And really, there was no looking back after that. Look for those moments. I mean, it's amazing how many there are in a series. I'd say one or two big ones in a game. But if the Blues can continue to manage those moments and take advantage of them, uh, to me, that's what separates winners and losers. It's the shift in the series last year against the Jets, right? It's short scoring yeah. the late second goal. It's it's um it's uh, what's his face who missed the wide open net to really close things out in Game Five. 
That was the centerman who went to Philadelphia. God, I'm drawing uh, Hayes. Uh, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Hayes. Hayes. That's right. It was a shift of the late second Pat Maroon goal. It's all of those shifts, and I agree 100% with that, that that shift was on that penalty kill, Joe. One more that I wanted to mention before we get to Mackenzie McCachron. He's going to join us in our next segment. I created a spaz meter in the broadcast last night for Jacob Markstrom. You've, of course, have cited the fact that Markstrom is kind of a spaz in net. Reminds you a lot of Eddie Belfort. Five times in last night's game, he was complaining to the officials. He was taking shots at David Perron and Blues players after whistles. He was yelling at his own defensemen. This guy's in his own head right now. Whether he plays strong there or not, the Blues have found a way to get in the grill of Jacob Markstrom, which is going to be a huge factor on offense. Yeah, you know, they they definitely got in his head. Whether it's going to be an advantage or not, I don't know. We'll see because, you know, as much as he can lose his cool, some goalies really just really benefit from that. I mean, Eddie Belfort was his. He freaked, he freaked out a lot. But I think a lot of him, and Darren Pank told me this, was that a lot of his – him performing and being at the very top level was because of his demanding style and how he really got fired up. Some players really get fired up, Alex, and they just like find a new level. Jonathan Quick was like that too. Jonathan Quick, and if I'll give you a more recent um, example on this Blues team, look what Braden Chen did That's in Game true. Three. That poor stick. Oh my God, the poor he stick. He Bo Jackson the hell out of that he stick. He Bo Jackson like ten times, and then I didn't he, know a stick could go that small. I didn't think he. Could, I, I was waiting for him to get the table saw out and go Neow! on the Some last of the six inches, just bringing over a chainsaw. Bring it here. Oh my God! But you know what? Some players just feed off that. Some yeah. players just got let off a lot of steam. And Braden's one of those players. I think Markstrom sounds like he is one, uh, but if if he's not. And the Blues have found a way to into his little kitchen there, then that's definitely going to be an advantage. That's going to be fun to find out. We're going to find out about that with Dan Murphy. He covers the Canucks for Sportsnet. But up next, Mackenzie McEachern, number 28 on your Blues roster. He's going to join Joe and I next on This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on This Week in Hockey on a Tuesday night, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you after a strong performance last night in game number four. Back to back strong performances by the Vancouver Canucks in game six three are by the blues i should say in games three and four as the series is tied up at two so we are going to head out to the bubble now joe and welcome in mackenzie mckeckern after a winner last night after two straight victories mac out in edmonton mckenzie how are you buddy i'm doing well uh hanging in there we got an off day today so uh, just kind of taking the time to to rest and recover and get ready for the the next game what the hell does a day off in the bubble in edmonton look like mckenzie i mean <laughs> You know, on the road, I mean, there's plenty to do. You can go see a museum, go for a walk. I mean, you're from Michigan. You probably love the trails and getting outdoors, but you're pretty limited up there. So what does a day off right now look like for you? Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on weather. Uh, luckily today, it's uh, it's a pretty nice day. I think it's mid-80s, somewhere around there. So I had some breakfast and then spent most of the morning outside having a cup of coffee and just kind of taking in the, the sunshine and nice weather, walk around a bit. And then I think the rest of the day just kind of – uh, get a couple meals in me and just kind of lay around and let the body recover. Does it start to feel a little normal for you guys, McKenzie? Because, you know, during through, during the playoffs, you know, you guys play a game and then you kind of want to take a break from hockey, right? You don't want to sit there and think. You want to be able to decompress and f- uh, forget about it. But at the beginning of this bubble, it was all that was was hockey and it was just nice to have sports back. But now does it feel like it's back to normal where you guys can just take a day off of hockey and not think about it and just rest? Yeah, definitely. I think... Uh, Especially with that back-to-back, this, this day off huge. We can kind of just hang around with the boys and kind of just forget hockey and just kind of kind of relax and just uh, play a couple games and uh, ease our minds and get ready for the for the next game. 
Mackenzie, talk about a little bit your role and how you've kind of come in here, playoff games. Do they feel higher intensity from a regular season? It's hard to tell on TV. I mean, because we got the, the the new sounds coming in, like the fake crowd noise. But being in that empty building, it is a playoff game. What is the intensity like surrounding that, and, and what is it like being back in the lineup for you? Yeah, I mean, I, it's the games are definitely intense. Um, I think once the puck drops, you kind of forget there's no fans. Uh, I think it, when you walk out, you kind of see, like, oh, no fans. But like once the puck drops, I think the intensity picks up immediately. So the games have been very intense, playoff like hockey. And then uh, for me personally, getting back in the lineup, just it's it's awesome get get that playoff feel, get that first one out of the way, and just kind of build my game. Just, Trying to play a honest and hard game and make it hard for the opponents uh, every shift. Mackenzie, you spent last season, of course, uh, with the Blues during the postseason. You were up in the press box a lot watching the games and watching kind of how that fourth line played. How much of that ability to kind of see what Craig Berube wants in the system in postseason helped you once you got into the lineup this postseason? Yeah, watching that fourth line was uh, was a treat definitely last year. I mean, those guys are unbelievable for us uh, on that uh, Stanley Cup run so learned a lot from them just kind of how hard they worked and how they didn't give the opposition much room out there to make plays so just kind of took all that in and when I got the chance to get in the lineup just kind of implement that myself just be uh be honest be an honest player be uh, responsible in the D zone just kind of make it hard for them uh, each and every shift to make a play or create some sort of offense. Mackenzie, I got more of a team question for you. You look at what happened the first two games, and I'm going to zero in on one Vancouver player, Bo Horvat. I mean, he looked like Gordy Howe, and we didn't think he was stop- stoppable at any point. Something happened in his game, games three and four, and and Alex and Curbs and I were calling the game last night, and, and I said, I, go, I have not noticed Bo Horvat, and he's been pretty much invisible through games three and four. How were you as a team, or what was the plan of attack to try to shut this kid down? Because you guys have done a fantastic job of it. Uh, I don't think it was necessarily focusing on one guy. I think it's just uh, we just wanted our overall team defense to be to be better, five man units, and just kind of be tight. And whether it's tracking our defense, holding the blue or holding the red, keeping it uh, tight gaps. So I think just kind of commitment to team defense was kind of the the key after games one and two. I think you could see. I know we didn't get the results in the the first two games, but I think you could see our our team game building. And I think uh, three and four, we kind of put all the pieces together and kind of committed to that team defense, which leads to, which leads to offense for us. We're talking with Blues forward Mackenzie McEachern here on This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. Mackenzie, the physical, the physical aspect of this series has definitely picked up. It's always been there, but it's starting to be more noticeable. As a team, can you guys feel the fact that Vancouver's kind of a little apprehensive with the puck because they know that that physical force from the Blues is coming every time they touch it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's just whoever whoever is playing against a, a heavy physical team such as ourselves. It's hard to hard to make plays because we're we're on you at all times, and it seems like there's ten guys out there when there's only five. So I think that that definitely helps definitely helps us if uh, we're playing our game like that. Mackenzie, being hard and being physical, you know, I think for the common fan, it, you they think you know going in there and finish a ha- finishing a check and blowing someone up, right? But you know it better than anyone in the role you play. What else is it? Or what is it about playing hard and playoff hockey? What are some of the small things that I guess the common fan wouldn't think about as far as, wow, that's that's what he's talking about when this team says that's what hard, uh, grinded out hockey, playoff hockey looks like? I think just like like you said, finishing the hit 
whenever you get a chance is is a big thing. It may not seem like a big thing, but I think it kind of, especially in a seven game series, it kind of builds up. Uh, I think it, especially in their defenseman's head, they're going back for a puck. I think in their head they know they might get finished, so it kind of maybe makes them doubt. Uh, what they're going to do with the puck, and it kind of may create a turnover for us to kind of turn that into offense. So I think small things like that in series kind of build up over time, and you can kind of see it pay off as the series go goes along. Mac, another player that that Blues fans are talking a lot about in this series is a guy by the name of Antoine Roussel, and every team always seems to have a pest that likes to get underneath the other team's skin to try and take dumb penalties. What is it about Antoine Roussel that the Blues do to kind of make him uh, disappear in games? Because he, he tries to start things, but then he just disappears once the game goes along. Yeah, you know, I think uh, he obviously has a role, and I think we just kind of have to respect that he plays the game hard, but I think we just kind of have to let him just kind of let him be. I think he wants to try and draw us in. Obviously, they have a, a dynamite power play, so I think he wants to try and draw draw us in and try, to, try and get us to retaliate. So I think we just kind of have to play hard between the whistles and kind of just smile after that and just, just kind of let him be and play our game. Try not to get uh, distracted from that and just play our game. Mackenzie, I love your stride. I love how you skate. You know, talked to John Stanbrook, the Blues skating coach, last year about you. He raved about you before I even saw you come up at the NHL. And you're one of my favorite players to see on the forecheck. What did you do growing up? Why are you? Why do you have such a long stride? Because you're a big guy. You're a tall guy. You know, usually you see quick guys being smaller, stockier. Were you a multi-sport kid? Are you overly flexible? I mean, if you had a pinpoint on one or two things about why you are such an efficient skater, what would it be? Uh, I, I don't know. Any, I, I mean, to answer one of your questions, yeah, I, was, I played a handful of sports growing up, lacrosse, baseball, soccer, obviously hockey. So maybe a combination of all those sports kind of allowed me to get some sort of motion, the long motion in my stride. but. Nothing in particular. I mean, a couple summers I worked with a skating coach uh, back in high school. But uh, I don't know if I could pinpoint one thing necessarily. Mackenzie, my final question for you, buddy, and we appreciate you hopping on with us. I'm curious, were you a gamer before the bubble started, and how much more of a gamer are you now that you've been locked up in a hotel in Edmonton? Uh, yeah, I was. I was a bit of a gamer before the bubble for sure. I think uh, quarantine and the bubble quantified that uh, <laughs> for sure. But I'm definitely, uh, I hate to say it, but I, I'm definitely getting sick of video games a little bit. And I think uh, as we get into playoffs, the games are obviously happening every other day. So it, I'm getting away from the video games, which is probably a good thing. I think the uh, I think that was strategy from the parents, Joe. Like, give them the quarantine, let them do as many video games as possible, and the next thing you know, they're going to be sick of it, right? You know, it's like Mackenzie. I love ice cream, right? It's kind of like my <laughs> my my guilty pleasure. And every now and then, I'll just purge on ice cream. Like, I'll go to my four favorite ice cream joints all in the same evening. I'll go from Oberweiss to Andy's to Ted Drew's, and I literally just get my fill until I want to puke, and then I'm good for like a good month. You guys feel like Maybe that that could be the case here for video games. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case, and I think uh, once the bubble's done, I think I might have to to retire the the Xbox for sure. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, hey, Mackenzie, it's great to catch up with you, buddy. Um, you guys have been playing great. 
It's been fun to watch these last couple of games. It's great to catch up with you tonight. Enjoy the off day. Enjoy the off night. And we look forward to seeing you guys go back at it tomorrow uh, tomorrow night in, in Game 5. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. There you go, Joey V. Mackenzie McEachern. And we may have just helped out parents all over the I'm, world. I'm, thanks to the Mack truck. Or right. M&M, two M's. M&M. Uh, Mack truck. McKenzie. He, had like, he has like five nicknames Does on he? this team. Yeah, the team has not figured out a good nickname. When you get him, that yeah. many nicknames, is it just because nobody really knows which one they like best? Or is it because they're still trying to search something? Well, I think he's in a, a very special spot because he has his first and last name with the same letter. Yeah. It doesn't happen all that often. And you can really have a lot of fun with those. And that's why M&M is a big one when he was in college. But whenever you have a first last name, with the same starting letter, the consonant, or whatever. It's just something's a swagger about it. Like, I have a cousin named Vinny Vitale. Hey, Vinny Vitale. It's just like boom, boom. It's like Vivi or boom, boom. You know, it's like it just kind of flows off the tongue yep. nicely. So, I don't know. It just, I think that's why. And, and, that, and he's like, he's a likable kid. I mean, listen, yeah. he's a quiet kid. He's a humble rookie or in his sophomore season, excuse me. But. <laughs> he's a lot of fun, and, and I think this team is a lot of fun with him. And, and you can see why you can see why uh, he's so liked. And not only that, but it's, it translates on the ice. I never got a nickname because Ferrario was just the best nickname. They just went with the last name because it was simple. Ferrari. Ferrari. Never called you Ferrari. Yeah, everyone always asked me if my family owns Ferraris. I said no. If they did, I wouldn't be here right now. <laughs> or I at least would be would not be driving a piece of junk that I'm driving out there. That's not true, Alex. You love this job. I do love this job, <laughs> even if I had a Ferrari. And my family owned Ferrari. I'd still find a way to work in radio. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll take another break. We'll come back this week in hockey here on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night this week in hockey, Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you. Thank you to Mackenzie McEachern once again for joining us. Uh, Probably nothing better to do, I guess, out in Edmonton. Joey might as well hop on a hockey show and talk with us. Well, I think a lot of these players are like wanting to talk on shows. Like, oh, it gives me something to do. It gives me some sort of something in the schedule, I guess. Because right now they're having an off day, and these guys are doing nothing all day long. I mean, with the fact that you hear a guy say, "I'm just trying to walk around and get some sun," goes to show you that it is a black hole right now. And God bless the NHL for the bubble because we have hockey. But this is not an easy thing for these players. Well, listen, there's still eight teams up in this thing. And I know it's hard right now. You've been there almost a month. And it doesn't sound like you know daylight's anytime soon. You don't know how long you're going to go. My thing is I've heard from, from some top officials in the league and some rumors from some players of what they've heard from top officials. If they can hang in there till the next round, that's when I think we're really going to start to see um, a lot more things open up. You're down to four teams on the next round, right? Mm-hmm. Let's assume it's let's just assume it's Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis, and Dallas, just for for, for mind's sake. All the other teams are at home. You're, you already lost eight teams. So now you're looking at it like we well, have a lot more room in the hotel. Everyone can kind of spread out. And then now I think that they're going to look at maybe outside excursions, golfing, you know, fishing, yeah. hiking, things like that. But the league is a little nervous to do that right now. Because they still have a lot of teams yeah. there. And the worst thing, I know it's hard to be there. I know it's hard to just have this little concrete basketball court in Edmonton, and then you're in Edmonton, whatever, something else to do. But worse than that is if, Alex, we know, if, if a player tests positive yeah. and it goes through a team or goes through two teams and this thing's got to get halted and, God forbid, it gets canceled, the league has done such a good job to this Agreed. point. Bite the bullet. I know it's tough, guys, but you know, like like the old days in the Civil War, if you get shot in the leg, they they put one of those wood sticks in your mouth. They say, "Bite down, buddy. We're gonna yank this thing out." They just gotta bite down that wood spoon. 
Yeah, they do. And I agree 100%. For how far you have come, you don't want to jeopardize that. And again, we had another positive test of a week in the NHL bubble on both sides. So you don't want to bring this thing down and you don't want to be the reason that you bring this thing down just because you wanted to get out and play golf. And yeah, look, when you got four teams, you have those opportunities. Do they bring in the families or is that the, the conference final? Was that when they talked about that? So that's the conference final. Okay, so, so they have two more rounds to get to that then. Exactly. So let's assume that it's Colorado and St. Louis. They're going to meet in the Western Conference final. Let's say it's Boston and the New York Islanders on the East. Okay, so Boston and New York Islanders have families out in Toronto. St. Louis and Colorado can have families here in Edmonton. Yeah. But at that point, you know, excuse me, no, the, everything gets shifted to Edmonton, I believe. Conference finals. All, get, four, all, all four teams go to Edmonton for the bubble. Is for, for the conference final, I right? thought that's what was correct, because okay, the so, Stanley Cup championship was there as well. Yes, I know the championships are. Okay, so I think the conference finals are actually in Edmonton as well. So there'll be four teams in Edmonton for the conference finals, East and the West, and then they're allowed to bring some family, some wives, kids, whatever, yeah. to that bubble. And I don't know, I haven't asked this question yet, if you're a single guy, can you bring your girlfriend? Or, yeah. or can you bring a best friend if you just want some company. I mean, I don't know how that works quite yet, Alex, but we'll probably get those answers soon. The thing is, I don't think a lot of players are going to be bringing their families. I don't think so either. You know, I mean, Carl Gunnarsson talked to us about it on our show a few weeks back. You really think about it, it's like, why Why would you? It's like, you've already gone this long. Yes, it'd be nice to see them, but you could be getting bounced in a week and a half, and then you'd see them then anyway. And why would you want to risk, especially when you have young kids, bringing them all the way out to Edmonton. And a lot of these players, I mean, they, they found a good rhythm. I mean, they're yeah. in the NHL for a reason. These wives are strong. They they got families. They have friends. They have communities that they rely on mm-hmm. and lean on. So another week and a half, two weeks, isn't going to be the worst thing in the world. So it's nice the NHL is doing that. I just really – I'm really – cautiously optimistic to think that a lot of players are going to actually take them up on it and bring family in. I would agree, especially by the time that you get to that point, you're looking at what, 10, 12 weeks already into the bubble. At yeah. that point, you're thinking, we got a couple more weeks, let's just grind through this and, and see what comes of it. So, one player that's back in the bubble and one player that's leaving the bubble, and this was news that we found out today from Craig Berube and the Blues. Let's start with the one leaving the bubble, Joe. Vladimir Tarasenko, of course, who had the shoulder surgery on October 24th because I believe it was separated or dislocated, uh, was out, came back, training camp, looked great, only a couple of games in the in the bubble play in Edmonton. He's headed back to St. Louis now to get his shoulder looked at. Um, Craig Berube saying today that he's not going to jump to conclusions. Let's see what the doctor says. If they feel like everything's okay, comes back to the bubble, waits four days, and then you're back into the play. But what should the concern level be at? Or I guess for you, what's the concern level at with Vladdy? Well, the concern level is that this is an injury that's going to be um, kind of lagging him, I guess, for a while. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of moved on from this year, Is that if that makes any sense. I mean, I think the reality is... Meaning you kind of crossed Vladdy off for the rest of this year. I have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know that Craig Berube, no one's made that announcement yet, but if you're leaving the bubble, to me, Alex, it's something with his shoulder a little bit more serious than a doctor can deal with in Edmonton. I mean, they have great doctors there. But something more serious must be going on, or maybe he just wants a comfort level with his own guy. But the fact that you have to leave this bubble and go through this process and then even re-enter the bubble, you're not going to do that if you're if you're just if you're okay. If that makes any sense. So yeah. I think this is actually something that's relatively serious enough to where he's going to be having to leave. Do we see Vladdy back this postseason? Gosh, I I just don't think so. I think that given the year that it's been, he's been off for nine months, he comes back, he never looked like himself, never looked comfortable, and now with his shoulder bugging him, Alex, I just I can't see the Blues risking it because, again, 
this is your this is your one of your franchise go-to guys right now. I mean, this is the guy that you have to lean on, hopefully for another five, ten years if you get lucky. So why again push it to a point where you're going to really disrupt anything starting, let's say next season? Can you finally just get him completely better? I think it's he's one of those players that when it's playoff time. You don't shoot him up with a cortisone shot. He's mm-hmm. not there in his career. He's not a guy that's going to become a UFA. He's not a young kid. You know what I mean? He he is an established goal scorer for this organization, and they're going to do everything they can to make sure he is good for the long haul. And the good news is the Blues have been been okay without him. They've been okay this whole year. I mean, they led the Western Conference without Vladimir Tarasenko. And the last two games without him, Alex, for whatever reason, I don't know exactly why, maybe something to do with chemistry, guys feeling less pressure to get him the puck, whatever it is. This team's okay without him. So the biggest thing right now is to make sure that Vladimir Tarasenko just gets completely healthy because you're looking long-term for this guy, not short-term. You've seen this before in the NHL, though, Joe. You've had players that you've played with, played against, who've had shoulder surgeries and possibly two shoulder surgeries. How much of a concern is it, though, for the rest of his career? Because after his surgery, Doug Armstrong said everything went fine and they expect a full recovery. But after two surgeries on that same shoulder, you start to get a little questionable. Well, you get nervous. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, there's been two and, you know, he's already missed a whole year and it still doesn't seem right. So that makes you nervous. You know, is it the most severe of injuries for a hockey player? No. I think you got to look at what happened to Robbie Fabry. Those ACLs, those yeah. can really trip you up. Uh, hip labrums are a big thing for hockey players. And when you start dealing with labrum issues in your hips, that that's your mobility. I mean, the legs feed the wolf, and that's that's as true as of a saying as can be for hockey. If you can't skate and your knees are jacked up, your hips is or your hips aren't working right and properly and in sync, that's where the biggest injuries come. So I'm not going to put this under the category of like immediate attention and like danger zone where this is like an injury that we've seen so much and players never recover from. I think he'll be okay. I really do. I just think maybe he needs a little bit more time. So you take one Russian out of the lineup and you insert another Russian. So Tarasenko is out of the bubble at least for the time being. Doug Armstrong will give an update, I believe he said on Monday, for Vladimir Tarasenko. So you got a little under a week uh, to find out more on Vladdy's status. But Ivan Barbashev is back. He was back on the 14th. Congratulations to him and his wife for their firstborn. Um, comes to the quarantine, gets four negative tests, which is what they needed. He skated today with the team, which I believe was an optional skate because they had the day off. Um, but you're putting a player back into your lineup, Joe, that he may not be Tarasenko that's course 40 in a season, but he's a guy who is very impactful on the ice, which is going to give Craig Berube his identity back of a fourth line. Well, I like that Ivan Barbashev isn't going to come in and feel pressure to be the savior. Yes. Right? Okay, so if the series is 3-1, to one, for example, he's going to feel a lot of pressure. Let's say the Blues have, haven't been physical, they haven't had their game, they're not getting to their identity, then Ivan's going to feel like, geez, maybe I'm the guy that they need, and that's going to be extra pressure. The good news for Ivan is... This team has found their game. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're back. I mean, they're doing everything they did last year and then then some. So Ivan's just going to be a great, fresh insert into the already rediscovered identity of this team, if it makes any sense. I mean, it's like you're looking at a team that's already playing physical and fast and with pace and it's competing and getting to the nets. And then you're going to say, oh, by the way, we have this other guy that now we have who's completely healthy, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he's he plays that game better than anyone on our team. So we're going to add him to the mixes, too. I mean... Uh, geez, if you're Vancouver and you see number 49 <laughs> in, in warm-ups tomorrow night, it's it's not it's not good. It's just not good because this kid uh, really he really embodies what Craig Berube hockey is all about. He's been with them since the minors. He knows exactly what makes Craig Berube tick. He knows exactly how he needs to play, 
And he goes out there and he does it shift after shift. Well, and and you're bringing in a guy who who brings the element that has plagued Vancouver for the last two games, and it's hitting. It's physical presence. You went from 30 to 41 to 46 to 33 hits in this series, and that 40 to 6 to 33 was because, of course, back-to-back games. But you're also bringing in a guy who, before he left the bubble, his final game, he had seven hits himself. He led the team. So... You're you're putting him on a fourth line, Joe. That if you have Steen back, if you don't have Steen back, it's a fourth line that gives Craig Berube the option to play 12, 13, 14 minutes. Gives you less time on the bodies of O'Reilly and Schwartz and Shen, which is going to benefit a team in that third period where they don't feel like their legs are heavy because they're able to spread that time out. Well, it's it's going to add more depth to this team, and this is already something that Vancouver's struggling with is dealing with the, the with St. Louis depth. I mean, the fact that Craig Bruby can roll these lines and he knows that every line is going to go over there, the boards, and be, be competing and being physical and getting to the net and disturbing Vancouver. If you have four lines that can do that and then you add this little rocket as well, I mean, to me, this is this is just why it's just bad news for Vancouver because they're already struggling with the fact that they have two dependable lines, but then it really falls off from there. They're, they're in fourth line, have, have not done anything. Yeah, Like Brandon Sutter and Jay Beagle, I have not noticed them. Yeah. I have not noticed anyone on their line. The only, the only person I'm noticing is Antoine Roussel because he's kind of getting in the mix a little bit. He's taking some penalties, got in a fight with Sammy Blay. But these third and fourth lines, I mean, they're they have not been good at yeah. all. And now you're looking at a player, Ivan Barbashev, coming in, and he's going to give even more stability and more confidence into the depth of St. Louis. It's it, it's disturbing. If you're Quinn Hughes, you're you're even more nervous now because not only do you have a physical kid, but again, he's healthy. He's so fresh. Not coming back from injury. This is this is a very weird situation. I mean, how often do you have a a consistent, you know, player that plays every single game? coming back after being you know, into a playoff series, but he's not done because he's a healthy scratch. Well, he's not coming back because he's injured. He's just coming back because of this 2020, and life is literally turned upside down, and he's as fresh as can be. It's it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to propose even a bigger problem for this Vancouver uh, depth. If you're Quinn you. Hughes, you're finding a white flag somewhere and saying, guys, I'm done. I mean, the hitting's not stopping. No. It, I, it's I mean, just going to pick up. It's going to come worse now because it's a best of three. Yeah. Now the Blues smell blood in the water. Yeah. Like, this is where they attack. It's not going to be easy for him. Well, and I think that if the Blues can just keep it 5-on-5 five five and keep it the way they did it last night, you know, I'm not even going to say 5-on-5 five five because the PK was good. If they can just eliminate this... this power Van- play was too. If they can eliminate this Vancouver, this power play, you don't even need goals on the power play. Like, I know we got that power play goal last night, the 5-on-3, which was great. But, I don't know. You don't even need a power play goal. I mean, you just need to be good five on five, and you can take some penalties now because I like this PK. Yeah. If you if you eliminate Vancouver's power play, to me they they just do not have a prayer. Yeah, I labeled it uh, earlier today on an article I wrote for 101ESPN.com. It's like taking your kid's favorite toy away, and they start to cry because they don't know what to do. Like they want their toy back. Vancouver sits there like, hey, you just took our power play away. Like, coach, what are we supposed to do right now? We don't have our weapon. It's a dangerous thing that the Blues have done to Vancouver, and I'm interested to see what happens in the next couple of games. And of course, game number five coming your way tomorrow night, 9.30 puck drop. Joey and I can't wait. 8.30 pregame show here on 101 ESPN. We'll take a break and come back. There are some some surprises around the NHL and the other series that I want to get Joe's thoughts on, so we'll dive into that next here on 101 ESPN. Final time here in hour number one of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. If you missed our interview with Mackenzie McEachern, as always, you can catch up on the podcast if you missed any of the shows at 101ESPN.com or wherever you get your podcasts and just uh, just search This Week 
in hockey. We got Dan Murphy, a Canucks reporter for Sportsnet, joining us in our next our in our next hour, I should say. Uh, Joe, let's uh, let's get into some games around the NHL and some series around the NHL, as there are a total of four games going on today and tonight. But let's look at the games right now in the West. What team has impressed you the most out of the teams that are playing in Edmonton? Well, the teams playing in Edmonton, I mean, it's it's hard to look past what Colorado's doing. You know, I think they were an impressive team before before they even went on that run. On I think it was Sunday night they played uh, seven to one. Excuse me, no, it was Monday night seven to one, uh, taking on the Coyotes. They're up in that series three to one. This is a team that's was one of the more scary ones heading into the bubble because of the versatility. You know, they have elite forwards, they have deep forwards, they have mobile defensemen, they have big defensemen. They have just about everything. <laughs> and it seems like now Grubauer is riding a pretty high wave. That was the one question mark. Does Colorado have the goaltending to get past and get over this hump? And right now, it's it sounds like they do, Alex. I don't know about you. Yeah, well, and that's the part with me. You know, I always look to Colorado as a team that if you eliminate their top line of McKenzie, or McKenzie, of McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog, um, then they don't have much. But now with Kale McCarr on the back end, who mm-hmm. creates an awful lot of offense, which that doesn't concern me from a Blues perspective because the Blues have found ways to deal with that in Quinn Hughes. And Quinn Hughes was the better defenseman offensively in the regular season. But it's the depth that Joe Sackick added to that Colorado team. Mm-hmm. It's the Nazem Kadri who had two goals the other night for Colorado with his presence in front of the net. It's the Jonas Donskoy who gives them threats on that second and third line. The depth of Colorado resembles a lot of how St. Louis plays. They have four lines that they can roll out there that not only can make you pay offensively, but are not afraid to play physical in their own end. Yeah, don't, don't forget about Burkowski, who yeah. they get from Washington, who's also a great addition on that group. I mean, this is... This is what makes it what what gives you know general managers general manager of the year awards what Joe Sackick did. I mean mm-hmm. he he looked at what this team needed. I mean they were a, for better or worse, a little bit of a one dimensional team with those three top guys. So I mean you look at what's going on in Edmonton. You have you know Connor McDavid and you have Drysital. Yeah. And you have James Neal, whoever's going to play on that wing. Let's call it Cassian. You have two of the best players in the world on your team, but there's a huge drop off after that, and that's why Edmonton just can never get over this hump, right? They're so one dimensional. Once you shut down this top line, you can beat them. For the last two to three seasons, Alex, I think this is what happened to Colorado. Teams have figured out a way to shut down the Nathan McKinnons, the Landis Goggs, the Rantanins. They've gotten cold in a series. They've, they've kind of lost their mojo for a couple of games, and all of a sudden, boom, they're out. Mm-hmm. Joe Sack has gone to the drawing board. He said, you know what? I like our defense. I like Kale McCarr. This was a huge pickup. She's yeah. going to change our whole defensive structure. We have big bodies with Zadorov. We have Ian Cole, who's a two-time Stanley Cup champion. We have Johnson, who's a former first overall pick. I mean, we have good pieces of D. I like our goaltender situation. We just lack a lot of depth from the forwards position. So Joe Sackick does he goes out there and he finds some under the current kind of players like Don Skoy and Burkowski, two players that kind of like run their course on their teams, but they needed to be let go of. And then you get Nazem Kadri, yeah. who is just an absolute huge pickup. Toronto's got to free him up because why? Because they have four guys that are making $40 million pretty much <laughs> or whatever the heck it is. But Nazem Kadri can't afford to stay in Toronto anymore, so they pick up Nazem Kadri and he's been Man, he's been lethal. Five on five, the power play. Every time I look, he gets another power play goal. It's insane. Yeah. He, he's so a physical the, aspect. Physical. He gets in your kitchen. You know, he He's a player that plays a 200-foot game, and Joe Sackick has done a terrific job building this team. Do you think Chicago is done with their series yet? 
trailing 3-1 to one to Vegas. They won their most recent game, and I believe they play later on this evening, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, the late game. Yeah, Vegas could be the first team to wrap it up. You think so? Yeah, they could. I mean, they play tonight, and I think Colorado plays with us tomorrow. Yeah. So, yeah, so Vegas tonight is, is really the only team in the West that can really lock this thing up. The only other Western Conference game tonight is tied at 2-2 two to two with Dallas and the Calgary Flames. So yeah. Vegas Golden Knights could be the first team, along with the Islanders, to move on yeah. to the second round. And the Islanders obviously up in their series, which has been probably my biggest surprise, Alex. Yeah, how about the Islanders? Their ability to just eliminate the Washington Capitals, is that more of the play of that young, youthful mentality, Joe? Or is that Barry Trotz just knowing his former team? I mean, you put two and two together right there, buddy. Yeah. I mean, you put you, you just asked me, like, what's, what's greater, a jar of peanut butter or a gar, jar of jelly? I mean, like... They're the same thing. Listen, bro, you put those things together and we got some magic. I mean, that's what's <laughs> happening in New York. True. You got some um, unbelievably young talent. I mean, Anders Lee is a, is a leader. He's, he's like the Bo Horvat in the East. I mean... You kind of forget about him, yeah. but he's just done a terrific job leading that group. Uh, Beauvillier has just been absolutely buzzing. This Barzal is a player. That's why he, they got. That's why Taveras was expendable. Exactly. I mean, they're looking at these young kids who play not only very well, but they're playing with structure of Barry Trotz. You know, Barry Trotz said to us last year, we're in New York, and we, we were talking about Beauvillier and, and Barzal in the hallway, and he said, you know, when I got here, these kids are extremely gifted with the puck. There's no denying that. And there's nothing I'm going to teach them that is going to help them with the puck. There's nothing I know. But what I was going to do when I came here, my job was to get Barzell to understand, what are you going to do when you don't have the puck? I mean, this is Barry Trotz's mind. I mean, mm-hmm. it's amazing. He did it with Ovechkin to he, win a cup. He did it with – it's a great example. He did it with Ovi. Ovi was, uh, you know, he was a goal scorer. When he had the puck, he was dangerous. But he was very loosey-goosey, and he was – he was not very dominant, and he wasn't always where he needed to be without the puck. And he literally transitioned Ovi in his thinking of the game and groomed him to be a Stanley Cup champion. And this is what Barry Trotz is now doing in, in New York with all these young guys that they're receiving his message well because they're winning games. And I think this is a very dangerous recipe for New York because when you have a young, talented group like that and you have a, a coach that has structure and has a good grip on the room like he does – I mean, New York could be good for a very long time. I don't know what's more impressive, seeing them being as good as they are or just seeing the trolls online just ripping Jonathan Tavares, right? Because, oh, God, yeah. Because, like, I mean, ever since he's left, New York's made the playoffs They've won. twice, and Toronto still can't get over the hump, right? Yeah. And then the other aspect of that one, you know, everyone knows the Barry Trotz one, but you got Sergey Varlamov in that for the Islanders, and that's a former Washington Capital mm-hmm. that that kind of was in that battle for the number one position with uh, with Braden Holtby for a while, and then of course they went with Holtby. But I love that aspect of it. But the other one too, Joe, and this is kind of why I'm rooting for the Islanders in the East. Our St. Louis boy, Scott Mayfield. Yeah. Mayfield is turning himself into a number one defenseman uh, on that 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 team. Because he's getting a lot of responsibilities, whether it be on the power play or on the penalty kill, there's a lot of trust right now in the way that Mayfield plays for the Islanders. He is the player coming out of St. Louis, and I don't know why this is, Alex, but you kind of forget that he's from St. Louis. I agree. I don't. I don't know what it is. He he, you know, he grew up in Webster, uh, he, but I think the biggest the biggest thing is going against him is he was a late bloomer. Yeah. You know he. I think he played JV hockey his freshman year. And he was just someone who was always big and lengthy. And you hear this about these big, long kids all the time. They're awkward. They can't really figure out their bodies when you're young. It's those shorter, 
center of gravity kids that just go bzz, bzz, like little buzz all over the place. Yeah. Unless they dominate sports, right? But then when puberty hits, <laughs> they kind of stop growing. And these big kids are still figuring out their body. And I think that's the case for Scotty Mayfield because, I mean, he is just a mammoth of a man. And I think he just he just blossomed late. He hit puberty a little bit late, and he was trying to figure out his body forever. But something happened there in high school, and and he is just turning himself into – I mean, he I mean he literally can play 10 years in the National Hockey League. Yeah. I mean, he could play close to – he could play close to 800, 900 games if he if he if he stays healthy. I mean, he is that solid, and he is just that strong in the blue line. And he is just he knows his role. He doesn't overextend himself. He gets the puck in the D zone. He does the old Ben Lovejoy off the glass. He makes a good simple pass, and he's big and he defends hard. If you can pass the puck and you can defend hard, I'm telling you right now, you can play hockey in the National Hockey League as a defenseman. It is just that simple. Move the puck tape to tape. And be able to defend. If you can do those two things, I've seen players make uh, careers out of it. And yeah. Scotty Mayfield is one of those guys. It's incredible that somebody as a late bloomer like that, but somebody who's that big, can go under the radar like he has. But this guy's been in the NHL for a few seasons, but he's just now starting to get that opportunity to showcase what he's worth uh, with the New York Islanders. One more team, Joe, before we break. Um, and uh, Dan Murphy's going to join us in our next hour to talk about the Vancouver Canucks aspect of this one. The Dallas Stars and Calgary Flames. That series changed the moment Matthew Kachuk got injured and was missing from the game. Now, I think he's still a game-time decision for these matchups with Calgary and Dallas, but uh, an evened-up series as Dallas has fought their way back in. And i got to be honest with you, Joe, I'm surprised that Dallas has because watching the Stars play the Blues in that final round-robin game, they didn't look like a team that was going to be effective in the playoffs. I'm still a doubter. I think Calgary's going to win this series. You are? Yeah, I just... Something about Dallas just does not seem right. I think that you're looking at a Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan who they just can't find that consistency. I mean, these are the two go-to guys, and they've just struggled finding that consistency all year long. And, you know, you're looking at a team that's been kind of uh, disjumbled a little bit, and you lose Jim Montgomery. They have a new coaching change. Bonus comes in there. And I don't know. I just I feel like they're missing something. I didn't like them in the St. Louis game. I haven't liked them in this series. I mean, they've been hanging on by a thread. They have a goaltender problem. I mean, Ben Bishop, you know, he's he seems to be down and out again. I mean, those big bodies, those big goalies, they get hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. So now he's down and out. So he's not 100%. You're, you're going to lean on Hudobin to take you to the Stanley Cup final? I, I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's there quite yet. Yeah. They, they've gotten slower in the offseason with Pavelski and Corey Perry. They got more veterans. They got more high hockey IQ. But they've gotten slower. So, I, I, again, I just – something doesn't seem right. And it, they're they're going to be a team to me, Alex, that just – that when they lose and they go home, they're going to be like, wow, we, we just hang, ha- kept hanging on to a thread mm-hmm. for as long as possible. And, and, and to me, I just don't think there's enough there. I think Calgary is the only team – that will advance that wasn't a part of the top four seed. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in Dallas, I mean, look, you had two straight years where your captain and your co-captain, your two best players, had to be called out by somebody in the front office with the Dallas Stars. So that's never a good recipe for success. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're going to close out hour number one, come back in hour number two. We're going to talk Jake Allen. And if this is his net, we'll talk with Dan Murphy about the Vancouver Canucks. We do have what's up with that. And... I want you to think about this, and you can text in 65780 throughout the night. Is Ryan O'Reilly one of the most influential players on this Blues team in the last 10 years? Think about that. We'll touch on all of that next in hour number two of This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. 
Hour number two this week in hockey here on a Thursday night. Tuesday night. Boy, my days are running together. All these 130 <sighs> finishes. Forget where I'm at, where I'm at sometimes. Um, we're going to talk Vancouver Canucks with Dan Murphy of Sportsnet and Canada in our next segment. Get his thoughts on the uh, Vancouver mindset right now. And Jacob Markstrom, is he going to be good because he's in his own head? Or is he going to be bad? So we'll get into that with Dan Murphy in just a bit. But speaking of goaltenders, Joe, uh, Jake Allen, I think it's very obvious that he is uh, he's in a groove right now. I also think it's very obvious that he is your goaltender for the foreseeable future. You found the guy that was your Jordan Bennington last year. You ride the hot hand until he's not there anymore, and Jake Allen's been there for you. Oh, he's been awesome. I mean, you really you can't go anywhere else at this point. I think there was a little bit of a question mark, maybe what Craig Berube was going to do for this second game of the back-to-back, the game last night, which was game four. But he went, he went back with Jake. I mean, you look at the numbers, and we, we said it heading into the game. On zero days of rest, Jake Allen was a 922 save percentage, and he's just been a beast. He, he seems like he can handle the workload. It seems like the less rest he has, the better he is. And I think you have to ride the hot hand. This is what playoff hockey is all about. You know, players are going to emerge. Players are going to sink. Yeah. And whoever emerges and whoever comes up on top and whoever starts riding that wave, you just got to ride it. You got to ride those players as hard as you can. Because the Ryan O'Reilly's and the Jake Allen's, those are those players that are going to get you through this round. Now, it may not be Ryan O'Reilly and Jake Allen. If the Blues get through this round, say they're playing the Vegas Golden Knights next round, okay, for example. You, you may lose Ryan for a few games. You may lose Jake Allen. Jordan Bennington may come in here in relief at some point, and he may, he may recommand that net. And I think, that's a, I think that's a good thing. I think that's okay. But while someone's running a wave and while someone's hot, mm-hmm. don't even try to mix it up. I don't care if Jordan Bennington's your go-to guy. As long as Jake is doing well, I think you got to continue it. And Jake may go well for a while here, Alex, and he may slip up a little bit, and I wouldn't be surprised if Craig Ruby goes right back to him. Yeah. I mean, that's how good he's been. Yeah, well, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, look, he's making timely saves right now, and Bennington wasn't making those timely saves, which essentially led you to this decision. And the confidence is there for Jake Allen. And I've always seen Jake as a player that – he really was never able to capture that number one goaltender. Like, he was never really ever the guy in St. Louis, but he was an incredible one two punch with tandems. He and Brian Elliott, he and Jordan Bennington. He was always able to have that internal competition with somebody challenging him for the spot, was where he excelled. And you're seeing that again. He was in a phenomenal teammate last year for for Jordan Bennington to support him and say, look, this is Bennington's net. He's playing phenomenal. I'll play when I get my shot. But when he was given that shot last year, he helped the team in the final few weeks of that season with his play on the road. The same can be said now. He saw Bennington. Bennington wasn't there. He gets the call. This is his time to shine. It's a competition that you put between yourselves to make a, to make a very crucial one-two punch in the NHL. Well, and I think that Jake is approaching these games now, Alex, with nothing to lose. And that's a dangerous mindset. And that's a really dangerous mindset when you're a goaltender, when you're any player. I mean, and what I mean by that comment is this. Like, Curbs and I talked about it. I think it's okay to talk about, but, you know, Jake Allen carrying over a $4 million annual average salary. Yeah. Okay? You're going to try to sign Alex Petrangelo. You know, you need a lot of money. And your backup goalie's making four-plus million bucks. Right. That could be a problem. Okay? Jake knows that. You signed Billy Huso to a one-way deal starting this coming season on a league minimum, but it's a one-way. He sees that. So Billy Huso, you know he's going to try to be here. They want him here. They're going to try to save probably $4 bucks by having him here. Okay, So for Jake Allen, the writing seems to be on the wall for him, and he knows where, where this is going. He understands the business. This is a goalie that's been in the league a long time. 
So he's thinking that, okay, he's probably not going to return to the St. Louis Blues uniform. He doesn't know where he's going to end up. So right now, put me in the game. If I do great, great. If I do bad, who cares? I'm probably not going to be here on this team next year anyway, and I got to go home to my family, yeah. my wife and my two kids. Like, There's literally nothing to lose for Jake Allen right now, and I think that's what we're seeing. We're just seeing him play free. We're seeing him play so relaxed, and I think that poise is just translating into some really calm goaltending that's really helped this team. Well, and look, the mindset, uh, once you're once you're at Jake Allen's age, Joe, you always start to think, like, okay, how much longer can I be in the NHL for, right? Like, You're always thinking, how long can I keep my NHL career? And in Jake Allen's mind, the best thing that's going to happen to him is the fact that if he goes out there and performs if he steals the show for a couple of games let's say he wins you two series or even takes this team to a Stanley Cup championship that makes you a desirable goaltender for another team to really take a shot at and you don't know what's going to happen with the future but if you're Jake Allen you know you want to stay in the NHL this is how you do that you go out there and you outperform the competition so that you are the one that everyone is talking about when the season's over yeah I think so I mean again without looking too far ahead but right now he is he could be the reason why the Blues get through this first round agreed and this could be just a good reset rest for Jordan Bennington you know I mean this is something that you looked at the first two games Bo Horvat, JT Miller, these players were in Jordan Biddington's head. I think there was a great scouting report on the Vancouver side of things. I think they saw a lot of tape of Biddington. And I think that this team really prepared for Jordan Biddington. Now all of a sudden, you're, you're going to throw out a little bit of a hiccup and you're going to go with the backup where they don't know maybe as much. They weren't planning on Jake Allen you know, coming in. We see this in football all the time. With in a Super Bowl or a big game, a national championship, where a team is prepared for another quarterback and they prepare for him for weeks and all of a sudden halfway through the game it's not going right and that coach switches up that quarterback I think it happened to Alabama with Nick Saban a couple years ago in the national championship game they brought in that awesome Hawaiian guy Mm -hmm. Tua they brought in Tua at the halftime right and they brought this kid in all of a sudden he just goes on this run because the defense like who is this guy like all the coverage and all the check downs and everything that we were preparing for for the other guy now the other guy's on the bench and now we don't know how to deal with the run. We don't know how to deal with the scramble, right? right. So it kind of completely shifts the mindset of your opponent. And I think we're seeing that a lot with Vancouver where they're looking at a goaltender that we don't really know necessarily the weaknesses because we weren't really prepared for him to come in, right. if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, and look, Jake Allen's got the track record. You talked about his playoff percentages. You talked about the way that he's played. He stole a series for you against the Minnesota Wild years ago. So this guy has the capability of doing that. And I think it's obvious that this is his net to lose, at least for the foreseeable future. But I wanted to ask you about Bennington as well, Joe. I'm going to play a piece of audio. Uh, Marty Baron, of course, former NHL goaltender. He's an analyst um, up in Canada now. He was with the fast lane yesterday talking about something he noticed with Bennington. So take a listen. It's a situation where Jordan Bennington is searching for his game right now. Uh, he doesn't seem comfortable at all in the net. Uh, and, and the reason why I say that is, you know, obviously you can uh, you see pucks are going through him, uh, his body language after goals, but also now I don't know if you guys pay close attention to stuff like this, but between game one and game two, Bennington decided to go back to his old blocker. He went back to his CCM blocker instead of his Lefebvre blocker. Uh, this tells me that it's a goalie that's searching for an answer and is not trusting himself to find the answer right now. Is looking for something outside of his bubble, if I could say that, for, uh, for a bounce, for something to work, and nothing seems to be working right now. First off, great pun by Marty Baron mm. outside the bubble there. I like that. Um, that's interesting. 
I mean, and look, that could just be goaltenders changing pads. They change pads all the time. You talk to Bennington, he's a very even keel guy. He's going to say, I just wanted a new blocker, or I wanted my old blocker. But it's an interesting aspect to think because he was strong in those round-robin games. He was the reason you were in every one of them. But to hear that he was going back to something else and to hear another goaltender say that you usually do that when you're searching – makes you wonder a little bit. No, it does. It makes you wonder. It makes you wonder because I think that players kind of get in that mindset and they kind of get in their own heads at times where they look for anything to switch it up. They don't like their game and they're going to try to figure out, I'm going to do something different with my equipment. I'm going to do something different with my pregame. You know, I'm going to eat something different. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I don't know if there's much to look into because you look at sometimes, uh, sometimes goalies do that. Or sometimes players decide to eat brown rice instead of white rice. Right. And they have a great game. And then someone asks them, wow, you had a great game tonight. And they say, well, I switched to brown rice and we all have a good chuckle about it. <laughs> you know, so I, I think it can go both ways. Yeah. To me, it's less about the equipment, Alex. Um, and it's more just about his body language. You know, he mentioned about how his body language looked after he let up goals. Mm-hmm. I'm not only looking at that, I was looking at his body language when he made saves. Yeah, There were times that he would make a blocker save or a glove save, and it was kind of pinched in between his armpit. And what did he do? He kind of looked back a lot. Mm-hmm. He looked back like, is it behind me? But he wasn't sure if he had it inside him or he needed to go back and cover up a rebound. That That's something we have not seen Jordan Bennington do in his first year, year and a half with this team. So, that, that was my reason for concern, and that's why I had a little bit of doubt that Jordan Bennington's at his top of his game right now. And and, and look, it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's going to happen to goalies. It's going to happen to centermen. Is that what you call the yips? Is that kind of the yips? Yips, maybe, or just not feeling it. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, I mean, you've been off for a long time. Some goalies are going to handle it well. Some guys just aren't. I yeah. mean, they're just players that are just not going to respond well to it. And some players are really going to take it to the whole new level. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly's a player that... Just taking it to a new level. It, it does not affect him at all. Yeah, you know, I think I think that you know, look at Darcy Kemper in, in Arizona. Aside from the seven-one loss the other night, where I think he let up four or five, I don't think he was a goalie that was offended or affected by this at one bit at all. I mean, I he's agree. been a stud. Jordan Bennington just has been. He's just in a little bit of a rut. I think he will pull out of it. I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to pull out of it. But the good news is for the Blues, you have a great savior and you have a great backup in Jake Allen who has just been playing terrific hockey and it's his net and he deserves it. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Jake, uh, saw Jordan Bennington at some point again in this postseason run. It's just going to be when things don't go right for Jake Allen or if Craig Berube wants to just get a little more of Bennington to get him back in the taste of that net. He's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's talk with Dan Murphy of Sportsnet. Let's get a little perspective on Vancouver's mindset right now and their goaltender, Jacob Markstrom. We'll see what uh, Dan Murphy's got to say about that next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night, of course, This Week in Hockey. Two hours of hockey talk. Myself and Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. Happy to be with you on the night before game number five of an even-up series between the Blues and Vancouver Canucks. And to talk a little bit more about that series and to talk a little bit about the games going on in Edmonton, we welcome in, of course, he's a Canucks reporter for Sportsnet. He's a reporter covering the NHL on Sportsnet. He is Dan Murphy. Dan, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys? We are doing fantastic, and uh, especially after these last couple of games watching Vancouver and St. Louis play. Uh, let's start with this, Dan. A, uh, a physical series, I think, was expected, but watching how these last couple of games have played out, it's starting to uh, be very apparent that this one's going to be this physical the rest of the way through. Yeah, I think you're right, and I really think you're starting to see the Blues depth and the Blues, you know, real heaviness start to take a toll on the Canucks, especially on defense. 
I think the back-to-back came out the worst possible time for Vancouver, losing Tyler Myers. You had Stetch and Edler coming off a tough game, Edler playing 30 minutes basically and having to go back-to-back as a 34-year-old. And I just thought in game four that the Canucks looked worn down. They looked tired, and I think it all has to do with um, that Blues forecheck. I mean, they are relentless. They don't let you take a breath. They turn pucks over. They cycle the puck so well. And I think the Canucks really needed this day off because um, they looked beat and uh, they looked tired after games three and four. Now, I think they'll still say that they're happy to be tied 2-2 with St. Louis, uh, a best of three now, but uh, serious adjustments need to be made if they're going to if they're going to even take this to a game seven. Hey Dan, to follow up there, you know, I had a, I had a great qu- uh, conversation, excuse me, with uh, Wendell Clark last year in Toronto with Darren Pang, and we were talking about playoff hockey. And Wendell Clark, he made a really just great comment, something that stuck with me ever since he said it, was that basically you don't need to necessarily play a hard game in the playoffs. But you need to be able to play through a hard game. So that's that. That's the difference. Look at the Chicago Blackhawks. Not necessarily a heavy team when they won, but they were able to play through that. Patrick Kane found a way to play through that. Based off of what you've seen out of this team during the regular season, and now seeing the St. Louis Blues, the heaviness, the physicality, getting to the net, do you feel as if the Vancouver Canucks are equipped to play through this kind of series and ultimately go on to the second round? Well, it's tough to say. I mean, I, I think that in the, the playing round against Minnesota, I think the Wild are kind of like St. Louis light, right? Same kind of defensive structure, big forwards, um, can really lean on you. And I think the Canucks showed at five on five, they were able to handle it. The Blues are a different animal. I mean, they don't have Tarasenko now. Uh, they don't have Steen now. And they just roll in whoever else is there, and they can still go four lines and play that way. I think the Canucks are far more equipped to play a tough series this year than they were uh, in the last couple of couple of years, but you know, missing the, the, the Canucks don't have the depth the Blues do, and missing Levo in a series like this, missing Toffoli in a series like this, really hurts them because other than the top line, uh, it's no contest the bottom nine forward groups uh, for these two teams. And now you're missing Tyler Myers, who is not a real strong big guy, but he is a big enough guy to handle the forecheck and handle some of the bodies in front of the net. Um, so I think the Canucks are better equipped than they used to be to play in this type of series, but I don't think they're on the same page as the Blues. Now, that said, I think like game three is kind of almost the, the game that the Canucks are going to have to win. You know, except they're going to get beat five on five, uh, give up more shots than they get, and then hopefully your goaltender's great, your top line gets some special teams, and you go to overtime with a shot to win it. I think that's kind of the game plan they're looking at. They have to be a counter-punching team. Uh, but if their top players aren't better than St. Louis's top players uh, and they don't win the games for them, I don't think they have a chance. And right now, I mean, I think going into game three, Quinn Hughes and Bo Horvat were the best players in the series. Uh, since then, certainly Ryan O'Reilly has been an absolute monster no matter who he's been up against. I think the shots... A shot attempts for in this series are something like 100 to 30 with him on the ice at 5-on-5, five five, which is insane. I don't care who you're up against. And the score, the shots on goal are like 55-11, I think I saw. So if they can't find a way to have Pedersen and Miller be better than Perron and O'Reilly, 
uh, the Canucks have no chance. Again, we're talking with Dan Mercy, Dan Murphy, host of Hockey Night in Canada, a Canucks reporter and reporter for Sportsnet. Um, Dan, I want to go back to the physical uh, aspect of this series that you mentioned in, in your previous statement. Uh, watching Vancouver in these last couple of games, it, it seems like they are just worn down, and it reminds me a lot of what the Blues did to the Sharks last year in the Western Conference Finals. Do you think a day off like this can benefit Vancouver to where they can kind of rest themselves? Or are they in a situation now where they have to change their mindset because the Blues are going to be throwing the body the rest of this series? Well, I mean, I think they absolutely needed a day off today. Um, like I said, they look tired. Um, and I think that, you know, some adjustments have to be made uh, from Travis Green. And, and that's not necessarily personnel because there's not a lot that they can do. I mean, the bottom six, it's kind of like, you know, what do they say, rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Uh, but you have to figure a way to break the puck out of your zone more effectively so that cycle game doesn't go to work. You have to be better through the neutral zone because if you're not playing in St. Louis's end, that's just where you're going to get worn down more. If guys like Stetcher and Hughes and Edler and Tanev are defending all the time, they're going to get tired. They're going to take hits, and they're going to get worn down. So unless they can figure a way to retrieve pucks quicker, move it up the ice, and have a chance to counterattack on the rush, uh, they're in trouble. But they absolutely needed this day off. And I, I expect them to be uh, much better in Game 5. Now, does that mean they're going to win Game 5? Absolutely not. But they're going to have to have a better you know, share of the shots uh, than they've had the last couple of games. And they still have that elite top-end talent, uh, the one-strike uh, players that can win games for you. So they have that to bail them out. Uh, but, you know, they needed to stay off just to regroup mentally, I think, as much as physically, because uh, the last couple of games have been very tough on them. Dan, you see what happens when a player can come into a series and an ultra series. The St. Louis Blues bring in Jake Allen, their backup, after the first two games, and now he's on a two-game run, and he, he looks like he's not slowing down. I think, every, I think every playoff series has a player like that that can change a series. For Vancouver, you mentioned Levo. You mentioned Toffoli, uh, Tyler Myers. Is there, is there a player that you think will be coming back at some point in this series that could have a kind of momentum shift in favor of the Vancouver Canucks? I mean, I don't see Toffoli coming back, and that would seriously help a lot because that would give Vancouver a dangerous top six and it would allow the bottom six to be a little more balanced. Um, I can't see uh, Myers coming back at this point, and that makes it difficult on Vancouver's blue line. Uh, Levo is certainly not coming back. He's not even in the bubble. So, uh, you know, they only have a few players available to them that can kind of come into the bottom six. And I'm not even sure a guy like Adam Goddard is going to make a difference because he's more of a speed player, right? You, you still need kind of the bigger players to handle the Blues. Uh, but that said, I might take a chance at moving him in at the expense of an Antoine Roussel, perhaps. Um, move Sutter to the wing, put Goddard in the middle. Uh, but I'm not sure what kind of boost that would give the Canucks. He hasn't played uh, since the first game. So there's no magic pill for Vancouver at this point. Uh, the best players have to be better. And I, I think they kind of were in Bennington Ted a bit, so it was a great move by Berube to bring in Jake Allen, uh, who has been fantastic. But that said, the Canucks could, could make it far more difficult on Allen than they have in the last couple of games, and that just speaks to the, the quality structure the Blues play with. Dan, do you feel like the Blues have started to get into Jacob Markstrom's head in these last couple of games because you can start to see the frustration on the goaltender? Uh, you know, I, I don't think so. I think Markstrom's always been a guy who's played better angry. Uh, he's always had that chip on his shoulder. I mean, I, I certainly think Perron has done a fantastic job of 
making his mark in front of the net uh, and forcing the Canucks to pay attention to him. And, uh, you know, he's just one of those players that's so great in the playoffs because uh, you absolutely hate him. He can give you a stick in the back, but he can make you pay with offensive uh, with his offensive game. He reminds me a lot of Alex Burroughs when Burroughs was at his peak with the Canucks playing with the Twins. You couldn't stand him because he was a rat, but you couldn't not pay attention to him because he will burn you offensively. So I think Perron's done a great job with that. But I wouldn't worry about Markstrom that much. He's always been a guy that's played with fire, always been a guy that's looking to you know be engaged that way. So I don't think they're in his head, uh, except perhaps Ryan O'Reilly, but I think he's in just about everybody's head at this time of year. Dan, has Quinn Hughes surprised you? I mean, you cover this team way more, more frequently than we do. We don't see Vancouver except when the Blues are playing them. But I remember when Quinn Hughes was drafted, and to me he was always just Jack's brother. And you kind of thought he was just the, the yeah. chuck wagon along along for the ride, and you know he's short, he's not very stocky, and he can move pretty well. But I didn't know; no one really knew what he was. I'm watching this kid in the first four games, even even through the last two games where the Vancouver Canucks have lost. I am more and more impressed with him and how he moves the puck and his hockey IQ, how he gets around the ice, and he's always in the right position. His workability on the power play, the, his ability to fish pucks through him from the point. I mean, is he is just is he just surpassed everyone's expectations on the West Coast? I think so. I mean, everybody knew offensively he was gifted, right? Um, you saw that in the five games he played when he came out of college before uh, this his rookie year. But the question was, you know, he's not a very big guy. Could he defend? Well, the thing is, if you got the puck uh, 67% of the time, you don't have to defend that much. And he's been a one-man breakout, a one-man zone entry. Um, I think. You know, prior to Game 3, he, he might have been the best player in the series until O'Reilly really took over. But he has certainly surpassed most people's expectations in Vancouver already. Um, he's just been a pleasure to watch. You're right, he's, he's one of those guys where you have to be careful. You can't lunge at him, he'll beat you one way. You can't stick back, he'll beat you another way. And he has the puck on a stick more than anyone uh, in any of these games that Canucks have played. Uh, but he does need a little bit of help at this point. But you're right. I mean, he, I think for Vancouver to get that guy at number seven in the draft was, uh, you know, a blessing uh, because this team has never had a true number one defenseman. I think in this day and age, a guy that small can be your number one defenseman. Now, he's never going to be Colton Pareko. He's never going to be Alex Petrangelo. He doesn't have that size. But I think he can control games in different ways, um, and he has been super impressive uh, right from the five games he played before his rookie year. Dan, final question for you, and we appreciate you hopping on with us tonight. It's an even series right now. It's a best of three starting tomorrow night. But in your opinion, who has the advantage right now going into game number five? Well, it's definitely the Blues. I mean, the last two games they have controlled play. They've dominated play. Um, I think they have all the momentum. Um, they are the cup champs. Um, you know, I was, I was in Edmonton for the, for the round robin, and, and everybody was like, oh, can they flip the switch? I'm like, they can find the intensity. Whether or not they can find their game at the flip of a switch, uh, that was the other question. Well, it took them a game. They've got the intensity. They've found their game. I think they have the advantage. That said, I, you know, I do think Canucks can still take this to seven games. I still think they have the top-end talent. The power play wasn't great yesterday. It was stagnant. Uh, but they have dangerous players that can make you pay with just one chance. Um, the Blues have the advantage. I think the Canucks will be much better in Game 5. But if the Canucks don't win Game 5, it's over in 6. Dan Murphy, it's great to catch up with you, sir. Thank you so much for uh, giving us a little perspective on the Vancouver side. Of course, Dan is with Sportsnet. He's a reporter covering the Vancouver Canucks and covering the games out in Edmonton. We appreciate it, Dan. Enjoy the rest of the postseason, and hopefully we'll be catching up again soon. Yeah, anytime, fellas. Have a great day. That's Dan Murphy again of Sports. 
net. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more of This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you on 101 ESPN. All right, so I teased our listeners with uh, with a question at the end of hour number one, something to think about, and I want to get back into this, Joe. Look, Ryan O'Reilly was a, uh, he was a monster last night. He uh, was everywhere on the ice. His puck possession numbers are as impressive as they can be in the postseason. He actually leads players in the playoffs in both Edmonton and the Toronto Bubble Joe with a Corsi rating, which of course is puck possession metric. Uh, Players who have played five or more games in the playoffs this year, he has 77.6%. The next closest to him is 64%. So this guy's a monster in terms of puck possession. Listen, you say what you want about Sebastian Ajo and how he has been the MVP of these playoffs so far because he's got all these points. I don't care. Like Ryan O'Reilly's been the best player in Agreed. these playoffs. He just, he just has. I'm telling you right now, even when the first two games, when he wasn't getting a lot of points, he was just a beast. I mean, he's been a beast in the dot. The way he holds onto the pucks, the way he makes intelligent passes all over the ice— his strips, he is stripping these defensemen like I've never seen before, and he's not getting penalties. He, he is a step ahead of everyone on the ice, including his own teammates, and that's why David Braun probably loves playing with him so much. He has been the most dominant player in this series through numbers, through presence. You put him out there in any situation, he'll capitalize on the power play. We saw that last night. He will kill penalties. He will block shots. He will destroy his opponents in the faceoff dot. He will score amazing goals in tight. I mean, he really has just been doing it all. And not to mention, he's been out there against the toughest competition. He's out there against Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson, all these crazy great players that are supposed to be dominating this game and dominating this series. Ryan is getting the call to do that. He's not only shutting them down, but he's actually propelling his own team from a point standpoint and from a, just a leadership standpoint as well. I mean, the, the character makeup, the the intangibles, the tangibles, everything about this guy, he is just the most dominant player in the series. And I think if it continues, we are looking at probably another Conn Smythe winner if the Blues can win another cup. I, I mean, at this rate, how do you say no to that? I agree 100%. I mean, you think of the, the factor and you take away the point aspect. If Ryan O'Reilly's not playing the way he's playing – David Perron's not scoring the goals. Jaden Schwartz is still a puck hound, but nobody else is doing anything about that. You're not seeing power play success. You're seeing face-off loss after face-off loss. I mean, look, he may not be a, a, a Sidney Crosby or a Connor McDavid in terms of racking up 90, 100 points in a season, but he is, without question, a number one center on your team. He's an elite centerman, and he changes every aspect of your game on a nightly basis if he's not in the lineup. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it's just – and not only – you bring up a good point, Alex. You know, I had a little train of thought. He got sidetracked there by that comment because it's a good point. He's always healthy. Yeah. I mean, how many games has he missed since he got over here as a None. I think he's missed any. He hasn't missed a game. He has not missed one game. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's durable. He gets guys playing 30 minutes a night almost. I mean, it's insane. And he bag skates himself – on days off because he feels like he didn't have enough energy in a game where he played the most ice time of any forward. It's the weirdest thing where most players and most human beings would say, I'm feeling tired today. I'm low on energy. I probably need more rest. Ryan literally is a player, and he's told this to me before. When I'm feeling low on energy, when I feel like I need more rest, that's when I realize that I'm not doing enough. <laughs> and he actually will do more. Oh, I so mean, he's a psychopath. He's a psycho. <laughs> but you know, these are the best in the world. Yeah. Like, you look at the last dance, Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, I played alongside Sidney Crosby. I see Ryan O'Reilly day in and day out. It's this obsession. They are obsessed with winning. They're obsessed with being the best. And nothing they do, no accomplishment, no championship, no award, 
gets in that way of continuing to want to be the best. And this is what we're seeing on this guy. I, mean, I was talking to Bernie Federico during training camp here about four or five weeks ago at Centene when the Blues just hit the ice. It's like the second or third session on day three. Ryan O'Reilly is doing mountains at the end of practice. For you fans out there, mountains, you line up on the goal line, you go blue line back, red line back, far blue line back, all the way down the goal line it's back. Like killers or suicides in basketball. Yeah, they call them Herbies from, yeah. from Herb Brooks, the old uh, we look at Again. That Team USA mm-hmm. movie. So Ryan's doing this, and Bernie Federko, the greatest blue of all time, I don't think any blue will ever touch him in our lifetime, is watching this guy, and he's like, what the heck is he doing? And I just had a laugh, and he's like, I mean, literally, you win a ceiling cup, you're Conn Smythe, you're a Selkie winner, like, what more do you want? Like, what are you doing to yourself? And he is watching Ryan O'Reilly just continue to bag himself, but that's that obsession. And the work he puts in, the attention to detail he puts in, his training, we've seen the the balance beam off the ice he does with his stick and his dad, the breathing exercise, the yoga. I mean, he, he's a guy, Alex, during this during this pause, he had to stay in St. Louis because his wife, they, they welcomed their second son to the world. Yeah. He was running up and down Manchester when it was like 110 degrees with a heat index of like 120 here in St. Louis. Shirt off, of course, of right? Of course, yeah. yeah. Showing the, that chest hair. All the moms were out on, on their porches those days. Some dads, too, probably. I was out there. and um, <laughs> But he's a guy that just... He just doesn't stop. Yeah. I mean, the conditioning, uh, the the skill set, he works on his weaknesses. One of his favorite comments of all time is, whatever you're bad at, work on that. Everyone wants to work on what they're good at. If you have a good shot and you can pick a corner, everyone just wants to keep doing that because it gives you confidence. He's the opposite. I mean, if he's tired, he thinks he needs to work harder. If he sucks at something, he's going to work harder at it because he wants to be good at it. I mean, his mind is completely different than 98 Point nine percent of every yeah. player in this league. I mean, he, he's uh, he's an unbelievable player who has who has altered this franchise. So, Curbs and I, I asked Curbs this question last night, Joe, during an intermission, and you were um, out during that uh, intermission when I posed the question. But when you look at the last decade for the St. Louis Blues franchise, so from 2010 up until this point, where would he rank in terms of influential players? in the blues of that decade. So you're you're looking, and I say influential, I don't say most productive, I don't say offensively the best, I say influential. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a David Backus who took a team from a lockout season where they were losing every, every year to a team that was back in the playoffs. You got a TJ Oshie who brought that fan base back into St. Louis, a David Perron, an Alex Steen. Where in your eyes... Does Ryan O'Reilly end up as an influential player in the last decade for the Blues? Well, all the guys you just mentioned, you know, I know, you, I know you would include him, but Petrangelo. I mean, you Petrangelo. have to throw him in there as you well. You got Bennington as well that you got to throw in there. Bennington, Bennington, it's, it's weird. It's like, it's a short say. It's one year. It's so short, but it's only been really. It's, I mean, it's been two years, I guess, for Ryan. But him and Jordan kind of came in at the same year. Yeah. So, but at the same time. I look at Ryan as so much more influential than Jordan Bennington, maybe because he played the whole season, I think. And he's having more of an effect on players around them. And that's why when you use the word influential, that's the part that gets me, because David Backus was influential because he he took a, a team and formed them from a team that was at the bottom every year. Like, he was the captain. Petrangelo's that way as well. He was the next captain. But Ryan O'Reilly influences so many players on the ice when you think of Robert Thomas and Perron and Schwartz and Sanford and Craig Berube and Steve. Like, he is a centerpiece for this team with what he does on and off the ice. I think, to answer your question, 
and I've I've kind of only given it a little bit of thought. Yeah. You just brought it Blindsided up. Blindsided you. But I think at this point, if you're looking at the decade, just the last 10 years mm-hmm. from 2010 to 2020, right now I would go on a limb and say that Ryan O'Reilly has been easily the most influential player yeah. in the past decade, even though he's only been here for two years. Yeah. I mean, to me, Alex, that's what this kid means. I mean, Doug Armstrong brings him in. He's had his eye on him forever. Not a lot of GMs has their eyes on Ryan O'Reilly. That's a rarity when, when when a GM has an eye on a player for so long and finds a way to pull off that deal. And not to mention, you know if you were to get him from Buffalo, from Jason Bottle, the GM there, you were going to get him around July 1 mm-hmm. when he was due $8 like, million? Yes. Something yeah. around there. Mm-hmm. They literally wrote him a check. And so Doug Armstrong accepted this player and took $8 million away from the owners of Buffalo. He literally like bailed them out. Mm-hmm. Right? So not only you're, you're, you're not... Not only are you taking a player like that, but you also got to pay him a lot of money right. right up front before you've even seen him step on the ice. It was a, I guess you would call it a, not a risky decision, but it wasn't a very popular decision. I mean, people looked at Ryan O'Reilly, oh, he's a good player. No one thought he'd be this. No one. I mean, no one thought by getting Ryan O'Reilly, you'd win a Stanley Cup and he'd have a Selkie and a Conn Smythe and he'd be on, on a run in year two and he'd be the most dominant player in the second year of the playoffs. You have him as your teammate. Not, not even close. Backus was a great captain here. He was a great leader. He really groomed young kids. I think he balanced the player relationship and coach relationship very well. At least that's from what I heard. I never played with him. But I think he had a great relationship with Hitchcock, and he also understood the players. So that was great communication, great middleman right there. TJ Osey added a lot of flair and fire to the youth, I think, here in St. Louis. He kind of had a little bit of that Brett Hall kind of feel to him about just yeah. he was a young exciting player he had the he was single at the time he had the flow and the bleach tips and I think kids got excited about that I mean you can look at that for example Petrangelo I think if he stays as a blue we all keep saying this and it's true he'll have his statue outside of Enterprise Center one day he's he's probably number two for me but I think Ryan O'Reilly for impacting players around him Alex like you just said I to me there's there's just not a player I yeah. mean his presence in that locker room his presence around us I mean He's a he's not only a special player he's just a he's a very special person yeah and I think that they're just there aren't many players like him in this league I agree 100 percent and you want a player like that to where your youngest players are like a Robert Thomas are paying close attention to him it's incredible when you look at this in terms of points um, so games played in the playoffs Ryan O'Reilly at 33 or 30 yes 33 with the blues overall but he's got 32 points he has the most points per game of any blue in the last 10 years in the playoffs and on top of it he has the most average time on ice per game of any forward in his time with the blues in the playoffs in the last 10 years and again it it comes back to the combination of being the shutdown centerman but also point productive centerman i mean it's very rare i mean look at bergeron and marchand i mean the coach there, he he hides those players. Yep, you know he does. He hides them to to get him matchups he want. Craig Ruby throws Ryan O'Reilly over the boards against the Bo Horvats and the Besters and all the best in the world. And not only does he shut them down, he dominates them. And it's, doesn't take penalties. And it doesn't take penalties. It's yeah, it's a special thing. It it's, is. We are we are we're very lucky to have him. Very lucky and blessed to watch this man play on the ice on a nightly basis. Let's do our final segment. What's up with that? As we wrap up this week in hockey, next here on one hundred and one ESPN.
Rounding things out tonight here on a Tuesday night. Again, the Blues will be back in action tomorrow night. Game number five, 930 puck drop with Curbs and Joey. I'll have your pregame festivities starting at 830 here on 101 ESPN. Joe, let's hit a little what's up with that, buddy. I want to start with this one. Not so much uh, of making fun of it, but just because it's kind of surprising. It was Tuka Rask leaving the bubble with Boston and headed home saying that, look, right now it's just dull in the bubble. My family needs me. I need to be home. Now, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors with his family, um, and you're not really asking questions. It's just it's it's something that a player decides that he needs to do, and it's something that you respect the hell out of because right now these are all very strange times. Yeah, agreed. You know, it's it's amazing though. This is the the goaltender that led the league in the best goals against average. So, a dominating goal in this league, a huge piece of the Boston Bruins trying to get back to the Stanley Cup final and and trying to find their second one in this past decade. This is a big loss. I mean, fortunately for the Bruins, they have uh, Yaroslav Halak, who's going to pull some weight. And you know, we saw him win the other night, four to two victory. The Bruins would go off on a run in the third period there. But you know, I, I'm very careful about these, and I I don't like to go down these roads, Alex, for the reasons you just said because they're you know they're very personal. Yeah, we don't know exactly what's going on. We never want to uh, predict or try to understand what's going on in someone's personal life because I think when you do that, then you get tripped up as you find months later all oh, that went on. I shouldn't have gone down that road because I had no idea. I think he's got a perfectly right reason to leave. This is a competitor. He is a, a very well-liked teammate, very well-received teammate. Everyone who comes across him loves him. This isn't a situation. This is a selfish player. And if you look at all the comments by the Boston Bruins, I mean, the management, the players, everyone's saying the same thing. We support him. Something's going on there. I mean, something, he needs to be home. And I think that yeah, he did the right thing. I actually heard a rumor from a pretty good source that saying that they didn't think he'd be joining the bubble. Really? That he was kind of on the fence about it. Yeah. So if that's the case, I mean, look at it that way. I mean, give you some perspective right away. At least he tried it. Yeah. I mean, at least he tried it. But yeah, Gave his team is, a shot. This could be um, this could be a deal breaker if the Bruins end up don't going back and and winning the cup or not. You always be wondering what if, what if Tuca stuck around if the Blue, if the Bruins don't do it. Well, speaking of the Bruins goaltending, um, and I guess I should say the Bruins team overall, uh, what is up with the breakdown of the Carolina Hurricanes, mm. Joe? We were watching this game. I'm sure you've been on the ice for something like this before, but this has to be the worst feeling in the world as you have a, a two goal lead and you. You just watch it dissipate in the last f- in five minutes of hockey. Quicksand, man. The harder you work to try to get back, the the further you fall. I mean, uh, I thought the Bruins uh, responded pretty well last night. It was a fun game to watch as we were getting ready to for our midnight start uh, for the St. Louis game. But you know, I think that hit on Jordan Stahl. I know it was a two to one game. Carolina still had the lead, but you hit Jordan Stahl. I mean, McAvoy absolutely blew him up. Jordan Stahl never returned to the game. Be, I'm hearing he's doubtful for the next game. Yeah. That is a momentum-shifting moment in a series. And we talked about this in the first hour, Alex. Every series has them. You look every game, there's going to be a shift in a series. And I think that that hit on Jordan Stahl really could be for Boston Bruins. And now they got a stranglehold in the series. They're one win away from moving on to the next round. Yeah, Rod the Bod was not happy about so how mad. that period went. What a bod. You see, a very... you see him throwing a Frisbee around? You see the man without a shirt on. He still looks like he's 20 years old. He, I mean, fools poor players. Like they're coming in in like semi good shape, and then your coach is like literally rocking a two percent body fat. Like you can't win. 
he seems like the kind of guy that when you're doing those uh, those those um, preseason tests, the strength and conditioning tests to see where guys measure up, mm-hmm. he seems like the kind of guy that does it with his players just to show them all that I'm 40-something years old and I could still whoop your you-know-what on, on these workouts. I think he could. That would piss me off. Dude, he is. He is lit. jacked. He is better, better, in better shape and better looking now than he was when he was a player. I think <laughs> it's very true. All right. Uh, speaking of coach talk, I, I the uh, I saw this article online the other day, and I had to throw these at you because, of course, I'm sure you've heard all of these. The top five hockey cliches of all time. Oh boy, there's a bunch of them. Do you have any idea that the coach cliche would that you could think that would be the the, um, the saying? Get pucks deep. <laughs> get pucks deep is we'll one of them. Worry about ourselves. Focus on us. Nope. Um, one one shift at a time, one day at a time. Yep. Okay. Yep. <laughs> one shift at a time, one day at a time. Um. Oh gosh. Just play a two hundred foot game. Two hundred foot game. A Sixty minute game. That's the same one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I two, got two more. more. I don't know. Two more. Help me out. So the other one is speed wheels. Play with wheels. Wheels, okay. wheels, wheels. Okay. And then the other one, and I don't, I've never heard of this before, 20 miles, 20 smiles. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. You've heard this one? 20 miles, 20 smiles. I've never heard this before. So they, they, look at, they look at a game like a marathon, or you look at it like, so when marathon runners run, it's always a mile breakdown, a mile, you know, how many miles we have left, you know, 10, 10 miles, boys, 10 miles. So every minute is a mile. So you start the third period, 20 miles, 20 smiles. So <laughs> 20 miles, 20 minutes. And if you get to the 20-mile mark, and you do well, and you finish, and you finish on the right note, it'll be 20 smiles. Jeez. 20 players on the team. Hockey 20 miles, coaches. 20 smiles. I Hockey. missed that one. That was a good one. <laughs> you, you brightened up when I brought that ah, one up. I got excited there. <laughs> Joe, all right, so going into tomorrow as we wrap up tonight, what's going to be the key for St. Louis? I think it's just continue what they're doing. I mean, literally, just in, if you can find another level, great. If not, you're going to be fine, too. I mean, you got a great goaltender in Jake Allen right now. He's playing terrific hockey. Defensively, the structure's there. You're, you're coming back in the D zone. You're staying tight. You're not giving their forwards anything. You're playing in the offensive zone. You're smashing their best players, and you're getting to Jacob Markstrom. I mean, right now, Alex, again, maybe I'm just being biased here and I'm a St. Louis fan, but based on how this, 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 this series is trending and how the Blues are punishing Vancouver Canucks, I, I think they run away with the next two. I really do. Joey, great stuff tonight, buddy. Big Al, always fun. There you go, Joe Vitale. He will be back with us tomorrow night. 9.30 puck drop, game number 5, 8.30 pregame show. For Joe Vitale, I'm Alex Ferrario. Thank you to Mike Ryder for his help. We'll talk to you tomorrow night for Blues Hockey right here on 101 ESPN.